It's Christmas time, isn't it? And in this season, we have the opportunity to address some so very, very critical issues in Christendom and what it means to be a Christian. And what's the deal with Christmas anyway? I mean, if I, if I asked you all, what is Christmas? I wonder if your answers would all be the same. Perhaps some of you would say, well, it's a festival of the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And some of you might say, well, it's a, a critical time, significant in our, in our country for the economy. Money, 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 buy those presents. Get them, get them, get them. Just had Black Friday. You know what Black Friday means? They get out of the red. Yeah. But I would suggest to you, and this will be our focus for this morning, Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of the Son of God. The incarnation of the Son of God. This sermon is designed to be a guide to help you better celebrate Christmas. But you can't celebrate it if you don't understand it. For some of you, this will be brand new. For others of you, old hat reminders. But friends, if our focus is right throughout this season, God will be glorified and lives will be changed. So to begin with, let's talk about some terms. Some terms. See what the scripture says about the incarnation of the Son of God. First of all, what in the world is this word incarnation? I mean, there's some drink you put in your milk and mix it up, carnation something or other. Is that what we're talking about? It's not. You see, the definition of the incarnation, you'll want to write this down, it's only a paragraph long. <laughs> the incarnation is the act whereby the eternal Son of God, the second person, of the Holy Trinity without ceasing to be what he is, that's God the Son, took into union with himself what he before that act did not possess, a human nature. And so he was and continues to be God and Man, in two distinct natures and one person forever. You want to look that up? That's part of the definition in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's uh, very, very strategic in learning things, memorizing definitions, helpful, helpful, helpful stuff. And so there's the definition. But let's talk about these terms. I mean, incarnation. What, what, what is that all about? You know, these theological terms, do they matter to us, my friends? Words matter. We think about the incarnation. Have you ever heard of chili con carne? Raise your hand. Mmm, good stuff. You know what it means? Chili with flesh. You probably don't call it flesh, but that's what it is. And the same thing here. The incarnation is the enfleshment of, 
taking on humanity, this, this human nature, a body. That's what we're talking about here. The very Son of God who existed for all eternity, my friends. No beginning, no end. Added to himself, humanity. Now there is another theological term and I want to introduce it to you. It's not something probably you'll bring up in the Christmas conversation. But the theological term for that event is the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. And this is the union of two natures, divine and human, to the person of Jesus. Jesus became the God-man. Now, the Scripture talks about this. doesn't use these terms, but you're very familiar with these things. You've been to church at Christmas season before. You've read these passages. For example, this morning, we had read before us John chapter 1, very important, focusing on this incarnation. Turn with me to John, the Gospel of John in chapter 1. The Gospel of John in chapter 1. Get your Bible open, my friends. It's not only good to hear it, it's good to see it at the same time. And friends, when we see it and hear it, we remember it. So John chapter 1, and we read, In the beginning was the Word. And what do we mean was the Word? Existed is the Word that is helpful to understand this. In the beginning, the Word existed and the Word was with God and the Word was God. What is this Word? What are we talking about here? This is all reference to Jesus. He, verse 2, was in the beginning with God And all things were made through him. So the word is a person. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so there is John's take on the incarnation of the Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul, in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, another very important verse, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 Paul writes that for in him, talking about Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. See, the question is, is Jesus really God? I did a little Googling on this yesterday when I was in study. And you will find all sorts of people that will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. These are people who have apparently never read the Gospels. Because Jesus proclaimed his deity numerous times. And Paul here makes it clear that in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells 
bodily. That's the incarnation. You have the very God of very God dwelling in a body. Not as a disguise, my friends. <coughs> Excuse me. Say it. Not COVID. All right. It's not. In humanity, the great intersection, the God-man. How did this happen? I mean, whose idea was this? I mean, was there a conversation in heaven? And the father says to say, hey, what if somebody went down there? I'll tell you what, my friends, this happened far beyond that. This decision was made in heaven before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even, now note here carefully, even as he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. This plan for redemption took place before the foundation of the world, my friend. Part of God's divine plan to rescue sinful man was to send his son to take on humanity, to live, to reveal God, and ultimately to die for our sin and rise from the dead. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I mean, not only did this take place before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, not only was that determined, my friends, it didn't take long before God begins to reveal it after creation. In our study in Genesis chapter 3, we came across this very important truth. Genesis chapter 3 And verse 15, Genesis 3 and verse 15, and we are answering the question, how did this happen? In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord in cursing Adam and Eve, multiplying pain in childbirth says this, and I will put enmity between you And the woman talking about the serpent, the evil one, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Hmm. The seed of the woman. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy, my friends. When not only Jesus died for our sin on the cross, but he defeated Satan. The works of Satan were defeated upon the cross. 
communicated in the full, my friends. And then when we turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, we see this marvelous insight that Paul gives us about the decision that Jesus made. Because remember, Jesus didn't just take on humanity and walk around revealing who God is and what he desires. This mission was to ultimately go to the cross. And who would volunteer for such a thing? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And Paul is doing some application but he gives us some insight while he does it. Notice, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And here is this incarnation conversation. He says, who though he was in the form of God. Whoa, what do you mean form of God? Does that mean he wasn't really God? You see, this word form is the Greek word morphe, and it stresses the inner essence or reality of that which is it associated with. In other words, though he was God, though he is God, he did not. He did not count equality with God. And so he is God. He has equality with God. He says he didn't count this equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what does he mean by that? What does the term grasp mean? Does it not mean to grab hold of something and hold on to it? In other words, verse 7 tells us, he didn't hold on and refuse to let go of his place in heaven. Verse 7 says, he emptied himself. What does it mean that he emptied himself? What did he empty himself of? The word empty here is the Greek word kenosis. And much ink has been spilt about this word. Some people claim that what, what is said here is that Jesus stopped being God. Can we just pause for a moment and talk about the absurdity of such a thing? How does one stop being God? Impossible. Impossible. And so here it is. This word, kenosis. Emptied means the relinquishment of divine attributes, the free use of his position. He humbled himself. <coughs> and so again, have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There's that same word. And what does it mean? It means you are by very essence a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form 
He's a human, the God-man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This was not something that happened to Jesus. This was a choice. He humbled himself, added to himself humanity, which, by the way, is still the truth today. He didn't stop becoming, uh, be, having been a man. He didn't stop when he died and rose from the dead. Jesus is forever the God-man. When one day we stop breathing and turn cold and the doctor proclaims that we are dead and we are suddenly in the presence of God and we are face to face with Jesus, we will meet the God-man. The God-man. And so Jesus is indeed the God-man. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about how. How is this possible? I mean, with God, you know, everything is possible, right? Well, not everything. God cannot sin. And we're going to see what the Scripture says about the Incarnation. And Christmas will not be about the little baby laying in the hay and, oh, he was cooing, adorable little Jesus. And we will remember that Christmas is the celebration when Jesus determined to add humanity to himself. We will answer the questions, why? Why, in the, why would God do this? Surely there must have been a different way. And so one thing, my friends, we ought to know is that Jesus is the God-man. Anybody have been counting how many times I've said that today? Repeated multiple times, lest we forget. Jesus is the God-man. And because he is God, Jesus is to be worshipped as God. I want to ask you this. Did Jesus ever receive worship in the Bible? Go home and find out. Jesus is also to be obeyed. His words are not just good teaching. My friends, they are the commands of God. And thirdly, I would commend to you, he is to be studied. And so I want to challenge you, my friends, to read through the Gospels particularly the books of Matthew and Luke, that give us great insight into his early years, my friends. He is to be studied. What is true about Jesus is true about God. Study the word. Hmm. Our Father in heaven, Change our minds this season. That we don't get caught up with the world and the possession of things and the giving of things and the excitement about things. 
but that we would remember what this is really all about. Our Savior humbling himself, adding to himself humanity, that he might be our perfect sacrifice. Transform our thinking this season, I pray, because we know if our thoughts change, so will our actions. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.